protection, blessing, favor. Lord, stirred up vision for them. Lord, that there would be no distractions, no issues with vehicles, no health issues. Lord, you protect them from all that. Lord, I pray that you would place your angels around their vehicle, place your angels around their family, their health. And uh, Lord, I pray that this time would be filled with joy, refreshing, and peace. In Jesus' name, we bless them. We thank you that you place them over us as our pastor, as our leaders. And uh, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, well, Pastor Jonathan, um, he's just wrapped up a series called Aftermath. And uh, this has been describing the aftermath of what took place after Jesus' death, burial, and, and specifically his resurrection. We st started the series at Easter. What took place then? And then also kind of culminating or, or really kicking off at, um, in Acts chapter 2 with, when, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Um, and what was the aftermath of, of Jesus' life here on earth and the birth of the church, right? Um, this was the time when Jesus, after his resurrection, he met with his, his followers, uh, met with many of them, and commissioned them to go, to, go um, to the whole earth and spread the gospel, right? Reach their immediate area. They thought initially that this was just for the Jews, meets their, their immediate area, but then to the corners of the earth and sharing the good news of Christ's um, coming, his, his resurrection, his um, redemption for the world, and all that, right? Um, and, you know, the main thing in the last few years, last, last, I don't know, a few times I've read through sort of that ending of the Gospels and then going into the, the book of Acts, the thing that's kind of hit me and stuck out to me is, is the, the paradigm shift that had to have taken place at that time. I, you know, when I used to read Luke and, or, or the end of the Gospels and, and Acts, I just, it was just kind of a collection of stories. But I like to try to put myself in the shoes of, of the people in those stories. And what strikes me is the, the paradigm shift. Um, Pastor Jonathan will often sing, like, it's a whole, a whole new world from Aladdin. I'm not going to do that. But kind of that, that moment for them when, um, when they realized Jesus wasn't dead. He, had, he was resurrected. He was alive. Um, and I, th I think it was uh, for each of the followers of Christ and, and sort of as the, the growing church as a whole, there had to have been so many moments of like, oh, that's what he meant. That's what he meant. Like, I get it now. Right? Um, all the pieces falling into place. Um, throughout Jesus' ministry, you hear... Uh, you know, we have the benefit of, of hindsight, 2020, and seeing what this is all about, and, you know, what Jesus came to do and everything, but for them, they were just um, Jews, Israelites, carrying out their faith, going to, going to the temple, worshiping the Lord, um, and, um, and they didn't quite realize what this was about. In fact, throughout the Gospels, you see these moments where they're just, some of his closest disciples would say things that revealed that they thought Jesus was still coming to be an earthly king, right? He's going to liberate them from the Roman Empire, and um, he was going to be a physical king. I mean, right up until the end, right before he was crucified, you hear disciples saying things like that. And, and you, Jesus, you know, you can just imagine Jesus just being like, oh my goodness, how many more ways can I say it, right? Um, but, but when he rose from the grave, um, and, and met with his disciples. I think there's so many moments where it was, where it, all those pieces fell into place. Oh, that's what this meant. That's what Jesus meant when he told that story a few months ago that made absolutely no sense back then, right? Um, just their, their, their eyes were open to what was going on. Um, I, I, think, I think of a, a picture, have you ever seen in a city like a, um, a long mural, like on a city block, maybe a retaining wall or something like that. Um, if you've seen that, but imagine coming up to that in, in the dark. Maybe this whole wall here is, is a mural, but it's totally dark out, street lights are out, and all you've got is a little pen light. And you come up and you're, you're kind of checking it out and trying to get an idea, and it's like, oh, that's really neat, that's powerful. You know, maybe when Peter said, well, you're the son of God, right? And you check something else out, and oh, that's, that's really neat. I don't, I don't quite get where that fits, but that's really cool. And you're looking over here, and you're seeing pieces of this mural. And then all of a sudden, like the streetlights flip on, and you get the whole picture. And it's like, oh, wow, 
that's the big picture. That's what this is all about. I think that that's what this aftermath time was about. That's, that's what really jumps out to me um, at this time. Um, you know, one piece of that is some of, some of the, the disciples, the followers of the Lord, I don't think they were really well-versed in the law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. Um, they, they, they had some understanding, but I'm sure that, the, you know, the fishermen weren't scholars in the, in the law and the prophets, but some were. Paul, for example, later when he comes to Christ, he was an expert in the law and the prophets. He had, you know, he had his doctor of divinity, right? Uh, he had his degrees and all that. Um, and yet he thought it was one thing. And then when Christ met him on the road and said, it's me, the one you're persecuting, for him, it was that paradigm shift moment. Oh, he, this is the one. Jesus is the one that all the law and the prophets have been pointing to all this time. And so that, that was another of that, that paradigm shift. Um, for him, I think for Paul and for some of the others that, that recognized or, or really were well-versed in the Old Testament, um, um, they could see that, they, they began to see that the Old Testament was really kind of a physical re representation. This is one piece one piece of what, the old, what God designed the Old Testament to do, to be a physical sort of outward representation of what our relationship to our Creator is like, and our need for Him, what that's like, and our separation from Him because of sin, and what's that like? Um, you know, I think Paul started to see that um, when you look at some of the different, the different uh, um, pieces of the Old Testament and principles, uh, when, when he looked at the prophets, I think he saw when the prophets were speaking to Israel and calling out their sin and calling them back to the Lord, um, he was seeing that now in Christ, it's what um, we can see that internally it's what happens to us in our spirit being separated from Christ. When we live in sin, when we've turned away from him, we haven't uh, accepted his forgiveness, or we're living in idolatry, letting other things take that place, that first place in our hearts and lives right? And then what happens when we repent, when we turn back to our Creator, when we submit our lives to Him? Um, I think in Psalms, in Psalms we see, I think that Paul and others probably started to see, oh, David, this kind of outsider, I think he had a different relationship with the Lord. The, the, the word calls David, the Lord calls David a man after God's own heart. Um, I think he was probably kind of the outsider. He had that special anointing to have that kind of friendship type relationship with the Father. And Paul and others in this paradigm shift, this aftermath time, started to see that's what it's really supposed to be like. David, the one out in the hills watching his sheep who's always singing and writing songs and writing poems that his brothers probably made fun of him for because he was the weird, froofy one, you know, that was just always uh, sort of in love with the Lord. We started to see that's the kind of relationship with, the, with our creator that God designed and that through Christ we can all have. Um, and there's others, the battles in the Old Testament. We see, you know, that's a picture of our spiritual warfare and um, driving out strongholds of the enemy in our life, areas of sin in our life, um, fighting for holiness and purity in our walk with the Lord. Um, again, there's so much more to the Old Testament. That's not all that it is, but that's a piece of it. And I think that those are some of those things that that when, the, um, when they walked and talked with Jesus after, after his resurrection, those are some of those pieces that began to fall into place. Um, for me, I, I think about it kind of like when I started playing music. Um, I, uh, you can probably tell, I don't know, I had no lessons. Uh, I did, you know, some friends of mine and I were like, hey, let's play guitar. And, and so then we had other friends show us, well, here's a G chord, and here's a C chord, and here's a D chord, and Here's a B minor, and we just sort of memorized the diagrams and slapped them on and did it until we get better and better, and we just memorized that stuff. And when you get the piece of paper with the notes on it, you just play what's written. And we didn't understand any of the bigger picture. Um, but after I'd been playing for a while, maybe kind of an embarrassingly long time, started to realize, wait a minute, these groups of chords are often seen together. And then these groups of chords are often seen together. And then I spent some time reading and uh, um, maybe watching some videos and learning just a little bit about music theory. And I started to understand, oh, like there are patterns and formulas to music that God's designed into this. 
there's math and there's science and there's frequencies that are meant to resonate together and coordinate together. And there's this big, beautiful picture that's intricate and there's a design to it. That's what made um, Beethoven, as he, as he, into his later years, his hearing decreased further and further until he was virtually deaf. And yet, even in those years, he was able to compose some of the most incredible, intricate, powerful pieces of music our world has ever known, even though he couldn't hear them, because he understood God's design and those formula for music. And for me, it was like, oh, that's how this works. That's how this is supposed to happen, right? And that's what I think that, that's how I think those pieces were falling into place uh, for the followers of Christ, for the church, particularly after Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell and they started seeing this going beyond just the few people that had walked and talked with Jesus, but they started seeing the masses come to Christ. It's like, that's how this is supposed to happen. That's what he died for, right? So today, I want to just talk about um, one of the most important aspects of that paradigm shift for me. That what was laid on my heart um, was that, that um, Christ was calling us to be living followers of him, not just adherence to the tenets of a religion, See, the, the faith of the Israelites at that time, I would say, was largely experienced as behaviors. Now, certainly there were people that did not. You know, David was an example that that was a relationship. Daniel, he had a relationship. But when we get to the time of Christ, there had been a long period of, of kind of silence from the Lord. The, um, the Jews, and I would suggest each one of us as well, are experts at, at nailing their faith down to a list of rules and then expanding on that list of rules down to minutia. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is what it means to be a good um, Jew, a good follower of the Lord, right? Now, that's not what God's design was. That was largely, I think, a misunderstanding of even of their faith, their understanding of the faith. But that's what it had become. If to be a good follower of the Lord, you do this and you don't do that, and you follow this calendar, and you do these festivals, and it was a performance on, their, on many of their parts. And again, my heart tends that way, and I imagine many of yours do as well. We want to reduce our faith to a checklist. Where we tend towards kind of a behavior list. Um, that's legalism. Did I do this well enough? Am I performing this well? Is it, it's a behavior-oriented faith. Um, I think it's so much easier to kind of check off a list of things to do and not to do than it is to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit in the moment to submit what I want for right now or what I want for this season to what I hear the Lord saying to me in this moment, to what I hear the Lord leading me towards in this moment. It's much easier to just kind of be a doer and a check off the lister, right? And I think our hearts, kind of in our flesh, we tend um, to, to be that way. That's why, if you think about virtually every other religion of the world does the same thing. Just take a moment and think. When you boil it down, it comes down to, did I perform these tasks well enough to reach heaven? Whatever their, their idea of heaven might be. Did I, did I do enough good to elevate my, myself to the place of nirvana? Did I pile up enough good on the cosmic scale of good versus evil and, and tip that scale of karma enough? Whatever it might be, the question is always, did you, did you check all the boxes on the list? Did you do good enough? Are you a good enough person to earn whatever it is, right? But the problem with that is you'll never know. We'll never know. How, how could you possibly know whether that cosmic scale is, did I feed the hungry enough? Did I um, minister to the orphans and widows enough? to overcome those things that I messed up with, those harsh words that I said, those addictions I've struggled with, those temptations I gave into, right? You'll never know. And I think it's one of the, it, it's, it's one of the lies that the enemy absolutely loves to use. Um, but it keep, keeps you in a, because it keeps you in a permanent state of confusion and uh, um, insecurity, not knowing, also a place of self-doubt, um, unworthiness, all those things, right? But 
The good news is I can answer those questions for you. Did I do well enough? Am I a good enough person? Did I check all the boxes? Um, Christ came uh, to answer those questions. And the answers are, uh, you didn't. You're not good enough. Neither am I. I didn't check all the boxes. Neither did you. I can never pile up enough good on this side of that, that false scale to outweigh the bad. And there's been never anyone in the history of mankind except one, Jesus, that did. Um, and what I love about our faith that sets us apart, sets, up, sets apart this relationship with Jesus is that, he's, that uh, God so loved you that he sent his perfect son to put his perfect infinite goodness and righteousness and slam it down on the side of that scale, right? To give you his perfection. Um, John, 1 John 5.11, uh, many of you know this verse. I love this verse because it combats that lie of the enemy perfectly. I don't have, just like Bruce shared this morning, I don't have any part in this. It's all Christ's doing. It says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. There's no question. There's no doubt. There's no wondering if I did good enough because I didn't. I just have to open my heart, open my life to that gift that Christ gave to us, right? So that paradigm shift, that this isn't just a list. It's, just, it's not a, a, a set of behaviors. It's not a, a performance. It's being a follower of Christ in the moment throughout our life. Um, so we're going to take a look what it, what it means to be a follower of Christ um, rather than just that performer. There, there are many, many pieces to this, but we're going to look at just a couple of big ones this morning, some things that have been on my heart. First of all, um, following means submission. Um, this is a big one, and, um, and it might, it, it's maybe a little less of the in-the-moment thing it may seem at, at first, but uh, you have to understand that our faith is not, again, not a faith of doing things. That's not what it's about. But ultimately, it's a faith of submitting to a perfect king, a loving father, um, bowing our life before him. Like, Lord, do with me whatever you want to do. That's submission. This one, this one's really near and dear to my heart. Um, our, uh, um, you know, the, the, theme of authority is, is deep and wide throughout Scripture. Um, there's so many stories. One of my favorites is about, about David, who was being hunted to be killed by Saul, who was, in a, Saul was a sinful king at that point, a, a terrible king at that point. Um, just wanted revenge on David because David had been anointed king, but, and David had opportunity to speak against Saul and to harm or kill Saul. And at each point, he, he uh, chose not to because he said, I won't speak against, I won't harm the Lord's anointed, right? And I, and I absolutely believe that David received blessing on his life because he made those choices um, to honor the authority that God had placed over him and over the nation of Israel for that time, right? And this one really rubs us Americans the wrong way. We didn't grow up in a society that uh, has kind of an idea of a king, right? We're founded on principles of personal freedom. We're founded on principles of independence. Like, I'm the, I'm the Lord of my own kingdom. I'm the, I'm the director of my own destiny. I am, you know, I'm going to carve out a, a um, homestead in this wild frontier. Like, our, our nation was founded on that. And for a nation, you know, that's a good thing. There's a lot of wonderful things in that. But we have to make sure that that doesn't enter into our spiritual walk with the Lord because that's not how our spiritual walk is defined. Um, it, it is about bowing before a perfect king and saying, I'm yours. Do with me whatever you want. That's, what, that's one piece of what it means to be following Christ. Paul, said, Paul calls himself in his letters, he says, I'm a slave to Christ. I'm a bondservant of Christ. Not to a dictator, 
not to a you know, terrible slave master. Christ called himself a servant. He came to serve. But Paul calls himself, I am a slave to Christ. Send me wherever you want. Paul was stoned. He was put in chains. He was put in jails. He was shipwrecked because he chose to follow what, where Christ led him, right? Um, there's a story here that it's not my story. I was listening to a sermon by, by Bill Johnson, and he said it was from some other pastor. I just want you to know it's not my story. Uh, but I loved it. He uh, talks about um, a couple of old guys, um, a friend coming to visit his other friend. And um, so his friend is walking up the front steps um, to, to his friend Joe's house. And Joe's sitting there on his front porch just enjoying a nice summer day. He's sitting in a rocking chair, rocking back and forth. And not a care in the world, watching cars pass by, all that. And Joe's got his cat on his lap. And he's just rocking back and forth, petting the cat, over and over, petting the cat. And, uh, um, but he's petting the cat tail to head, tail to head, just petting the cat. The cat, it's a cat, so it looked kind of grumpy, um, you know, not very happy, but he's just sitting there and he's petting the cat tail to head, tail to head. And his friend comes up, you know, hey, Joe, how you doing? Good. You know, uh, what are you doing there? Huh? Petting my cat. And his friend said, your cat doesn't look very happy. Why, why, uh, um, why don't you pet him the other way? Head to tail, head to tail. Joe just keeps petting him and says, let the cat turn around. <laughs> right? Like, how often is that our attitude in our, in our walk with the Lord? We're unhappy with our circumstances. We're frustrated. Um, we're... Uh, uh, we have our ideas of how things should go. And maybe even we've heard kind of the leading of the Lord in a situation. But we just sit there and, and maybe not, and not following that leading. And we just, out of maybe stubbornness or pride, um, or maybe not taking the time to listen, we just sit there and, uh, and not coming into alignment with what the Lord's doing and turn around, right? Uh, I think that's just such a great illustration of, of what it is. And, and just like that, though, I, again, my flesh, I think our fleshly nature in general always kind of leans that way towards our own will, the way we want things to go, the way we think our life should go, the way we think that the Lord should handle a particular situation, the way that we think the Lord should come through. And we're reluctant oftentimes to, uh, to just submit and say, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm willing to do it. And that is a, such a key, key part of our walk, following the Lord. Um, Jesus puts us on display. Um, this is such, a, such a, a famous example. Right, He's praying in the garden right before he fulfills his purpose on the earth, which is to come and die on the cross and pay for all of our sins. And he cries out to the Lord. He says, Father, this is Luke twenty two forty two, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He didn't want to go through the agony of, of uh, crucifixion, but he was ready to do it. He's, he submitted his will to the Father's will to carry that out. Um, another example from our, our recent reading plan, if you guys are um, taking part, it's okay if you're behind or anything, but if you're not, I encourage you to get on our Spirit of Life reading through the Bible in a year plan. The idea that we're diving into the Word together. Um, from Romans 7, 4, uh, Paul says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So, following Christ means submitting your life to the lordship of a perfect, loving King who created you for a purpose and wants you to know Him deeply and become more like Him. It, I think oftentimes... We see, we see our faith um, one of two ways. One, 
many people view it just like in many other faiths as well. I, I mean, I'm born into a Christian home or I'm American, so yeah, I guess I'm Christian, right? Or it's, it's all up to me. Yeah, I, you know, I think I'm going to, I choose Christianity. It seems best to me. Their clothes look nice. It seems like a nice, I, I'm going to be a Christian. But, but that's not how it is at all. Again, it's much more of that. You imagine that, that um, person coming and bowing before the throne of a king and saying, whatever it be, whether it's serving in your court or whether it's, you know, uh, serving in the far-flung corners of the earth, I'm yours. Do with me whatever you want. Um, the other part, the, the next part that, that I think really sticks out to me is being a follower of Christ is that following means active obedience. Again, we're not talking about checking off a list. This is a saying, saying yes in the moment. An active listening to the Holy Spirit throughout our day and throughout our life. Um, it's as small as listening to the Lord for the right words, the right response, the right decision in the smallest moments and also as big as listening to the Lord for direction at the biggest crossroads in our life. Not just weighing and measuring what we think is best, do a pros and cons list and make a decision, but seeking him for direction in those areas. Um, as an example of that first one, just kind of the small moments of your life. Um, to be a little vulnerable, I was in the shower the other day and um, I found myself uh, well, I didn't find myself. I was just replaying a, a frustration with my wife that I had just, just going over and over my head. I'm sort of spinning around and around an argument that never actually happened, right? I'm sure none of you guys have ever done this. Um, you know, and I was just frustrated. I was just sort of, I was just kind of camping on that. And by the way, it was probably, it was all me, but, um, but all of a sudden, just in, right in that moment, like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me um, it wasn't an audible voice, in, in case you're wondering. It just, he just spoke to me. You're letting the enemy poison your mind and heart against your wife. Like, I'm, I was letting that happen. And I was just, you know, struck right in that moment. Yeah, I am. That is, that's not, it's not my wife. It's not me. It's the enemy driving a wedge. He's planting those seeds. He's poisoning my heart and mind. And so I just stopped and just, um, just began to pray for Hannah and lift her up and bless her and thank the Lord for her. And I could have just said, no, you know, I, I'm right in this, or the way I'm thinking is right about this, or maybe I will have that argument one day. Or, but no, I just stopped and just chose, Lord, you're right. This is the enemy's doing. He's letting, you know, I'm letting him do this. And so I stopped and just blessed my wife and prayed for her. Um, in John 16, 12, Jesus, uh, Jesus, he was talking to his disciples about his coming crucifixion and ascension. Um, and he talks about the, this role of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak to you on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is before I'm sorry, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that's why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. There's many reasons why we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, but one of those main reasons is to, to speak to us um, what the Father wants us to know right there in that moment. It can be just a little prompting, a little redirecting of your heart, of your thinking, of your choices, whatever it might be right there in the moment. A few years ago, um, Pastor Jonathan and I led a little um, college ministry. We met, well, we met in various places, but for a while we were meeting at UNK. Um, and uh, I remember um, we were doing a booth at Blue and Gold Days, you know, and everybody gets to come around and find out about what your booth is about and everything like that. And there's a ministry called Vantage Point. And I remember uh, this young man came up, like marched right up to me at the booth and had a couple of friends with him. And just real confidently looks me right in the eye and says, 
hey, I've been looking for a, uh, I've been looking for a campus ministry, but I have one question for you. Um, are you, is your ministry uh, gay-friendly? Just right off the bat, right? And, and um, you know, there's a difference between really seeking the Lord and, and finding out, am I in right standing with the Lord and, there, and, um, and coming with a challenge, right? And this young man, I'll call him Caleb, he was coming with a challenge, right? And so in that moment, I, I just let him know, hey, everyone is welcome at our ministry. I would love to sit down and talk with you. You know, you're welcome to join us. Um, if there is anyone that is coming to really search things out from the Lord, um, again, he was coming with a challenge, but if someone is coming to hear from the Lord, we better be welcoming, right? And introduce them to the one that can speak to their heart. So I told him, hey, anybody's welcome, you can come and join us. But certainly, as you can imagine, just had me a little bit nervous. What's this guy trying to do? Is he trying to make headlines? I, I, you know, I just didn't know his motivation, and it seemed challenging. Well, a couple of weeks later, um, he shows up at Vantage Point, and I pointed out to Pastor Jonathan, I'm like, hey, just so you know, that's, that's Caleb, that's that guy, um, and uh, we just, Jonathan and I just were praying, and uh, over him, over our service, and Caleb, he, he participated, you know, he, he engaged in worship, it seemed, he was kind of back row kind of a guy, that's, and, uh, but he was worshiping, he was listening to the word, um, certainly wasn't any sort of a disruption, and um, I don't remember exactly what we're speaking on, but um, um, I, I, I believe it was something about the Lord wanting to speak to each person. And so we, had, we just invited anybody up that wanted to hear from the Lord, um, and we, we invited them up to receive prayer, and that we were just going to speak whatever we were sensing from the Lord over people and, and allow other people to do that as well. And Caleb kind of bolted up front. Like, he, he wanted prayer, wanted to hear from the Lord. And uh, so as we were praying, I just sensed the Lord saying, there's somebody here really struggling with depression, with self-loathing, um, hating themselves, thoughts of suicide. And, um, and I just began to speak into that and just saying the Lord um, came to bring life and healing and restoration to give you purpose and, you know, and just speaking into that. And immediately Caleb just began to break down. He was just, I mean, he was bawling. And um, he began to share with us afterwards his story and, and, um, He'd grown up in the church and, and wanted to come back to the Lord and didn't know what to do. And, and we had just a powerful conversation with him. Uh, um, and he was a part of our group for a while. Um, uh, I don't know where he's at today. I did, was able to, he kind of, he drifted away from our group um, and he's out, you know, away from UNK. But I had moments to, to, to touch base with him over the years. And I know that that, that moment of me just being obedient, us being obedient, to what the Holy Spirit was saying in that moment made a powerful impact on his life and, um, and really opened his ears to the Lord, how much he loves him and wants him to be in right relationship with him. And that was a powerful moment. That's just a, an example of listening to what the Holy Spirit's stay, saying in the moment because besides just a redirecting and a speaking to our own hearts, one of the other main reasons that we see that the Holy Spirit was given to us is to minister to others around us. That may be the foremost reason that we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's to minister the world around us, and particularly those that don't know Christ. We see the, the, the Holy Spirit moving in power in the Gospels and in the um, in Acts and throughout the New Testament in those ways. Um, the Holy Spirit empowers us to minister to those people. Um, Speaking of his power, I, I shared again in our, open, our Spirit of Life um, reading through the Bible group. We have a, a Facebook group where you can just share reflections and that sort of thing. I shared a reflection uh, from a passage uh, uh, several days ago, and, and this is from 1 Corinthians 4, 19 through 20. Um, it says, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the talk, but the power of of those who are inflated with, with pride. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Because see, Paul was addressing in the Corinthian church um, some people who were inflated with pride. They were boasting in their position. They were, I think, kind of shouting down others in the church. And he said, I will come and see what these people are really about because the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of talk, but it's a kingdom of power. And that power doesn't come from me, and it doesn't come from you, and it doesn't come from earthly gifts. It comes from the Holy Spirit in us. 
right? And part of what I shared on our group there um, was about was about that, that that power doesn't come from me. Because here's one thing you should know about Paul. Even though he wrote a good portion of the New Testament, and I've written exactly zero Bible, as Jonathan says, right? He wrote a lot of Bible. Um, he didn't view himself as a commanding speaker. He wasn't confident in his own words in the natural. Um, he talks about that. But what he was confident in is that when he spoke in the moment, at the leading of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be speaking powerfully through him. And that happened. Paul spoke before, um, you know, a synagogue full of Jews. He spoke before the Jewish leaders and judges. He spoke before governors. Um, he spoke before cities that worshipped the Greek and Roman gods and saw, you know, many come to Christ. And that was through the, the, the Lord and the Holy Spirit empowering him in those moments. Um, so I just want to encourage you, if you don't feel well-spoken, if you don't feel maybe charismatic, if you don't feel gifted in the way that the world uh, describes giftedness, um, if you don't seem to, if you don't feel like you measure up to maybe what you see on Instagram or whatever that might be, that you're in luck because the, um, that power is not up to you. Um, the only thing that you are responsible for, the only thing that I'm responsible for is drawing close to Christ, listening to him, following after him, just like we we're talking about. And um, his responsibility is that his power will work through you. He designed you with gifts and purpose and, uh, and that when we're obedient to the Lord, to the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, he'll work those things through, um, through us. So, Following Christ is, kind of, is a following out, um, a leading, you know, following his leading in the moment. Um, you know, Jesus talked to the woman at the well, and he said, no longer will you worship in this place or on that hill. Um, he was talking again about, about um, our faith, not being about coming to one place to carry out our faith or to, to worship, or that we have to receive sort of our faith from a priest or a pastor. No longer will our faith be contained to a building on a Sunday morning. That we'll worship in spirit and in truth. And part of that, I believe, is a leading out to minister um, outside of us. He calls us, um, he says that we are the body of the Christ. We are the temple. Just like in the Old Testament, the temple carried the presence of the Lord. And again, the Israelites came to the temple to experience that. The New Testament calls us the temple of the Lord. He calls us the stones, the building blocks of his temple. He calls us the body of Christ. I think that's the reason why he called, as uh, he gave each of his building blocks of the temple two arms and two legs, because he expects us. Our calling is to follow his leading of the Holy Spirit and to go out and to respond. Maybe that means speaking a word over somebody. Um, taking a risk for our faith, praying over somebody, maybe at the checkout line or whatever that might be. He gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us in the day-to-day -day in alignment with His written word, which we're going to talk about here a little bit more in a moment, so that we can follow Him in active obedience. Submission to His Lordship and then active obedience in the day-to-day -day and at the crossroads of our lives. So, how do we, uh, how do we tune in Maybe this is news to you. How do we hear from the Lord and follow him in the moment? First of all, um, and this is a whole other sermon series in itself, but after we're saved, um, Jesus promises that we can receive the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in us, the empowering of the Holy Spirit in each one of us. Um, and it's a promise for us. Luke 10, uh, sorry, Luke eleven ten, says, For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So first off, it comes from receiving that promised gift of the Holy Spirit in us. 
All we have to do for, is ask because the Lord promises it to us. Secondly, again, that, that there is a whole sermon series in itself. Um, uh, feel free to come talk to uh, myself, Pastor Jonathan, one of our prayer team after service if you'd like to know more about that. But it comes down to spiritual disciplines. Um, I know spiritual disciplines doesn't sound like fun, but I believe God designed discipline to be one of the things that revolutionizes our lives, changes our lives. Um, as an example, if, there's, if you know somebody kind of in your circle that you view as successful in a given area of their life, ask them about, did this just fall into your lap? Did this just kind of happen to you? I, uh, I would suggest that that almost never happens, right? Good ideas aren't worth a whole lot by themselves. Um, those are carried out. Their life was, you know, is transformed because of discipline, you know, putting a process in place and sticking to it, um, working hard at those things. And uh, spiritual disciplines are kind of like that. Um, just as uh, uh, an example, when I was 14, I've always been kind of an armchair scientist. I love science, um, love all those things. And uh, I drew up a, uh, my, my parents probably remember this, I drew up a diagram of an mag electromagnetic floating, levitating bed. So you'd sit on it and it would just float above the ground, right? I mean, I had like wiring diagram and some design stuff. Thought, I thought I was going to do something. But I never took that and like did anything with it, you know? Never took it to an engineer. If I had, maybe I wouldn't be driving a um, Toyota Camry with a quarter million miles on it today. <laughs> be a, mil a millionaire, I don't know. But I didn't. Um, also trademark, you can't steal that idea. Um, it's probably a good idea. I think that an electromagnetic bed would probably give everyone cancer anyway. Um, but that's an example. Like, it was a, a good idea I had. I still think it would have worked. Um, and there might even be some out there, but uh, I didn't do anything with it. Right? I didn't apply discipline and go after that, set myself goals and do something with it. Um, and, and so some of those disciplines, carving out time is probably the first and foremost. In our culture today, we are so busy and we hear it so much. You have to apply discipline to your own schedule and your, even your own downtime and look for areas, television, video games, social media, um, music, all those things that you can cut out, turn off the noise, uh, turn off the overstimulation and create space to hear from the Lord, to dive first and foremost in his word. I said before that listen to the Lord and hear from him in alignment with his word. And the way we do that is we get his written word in us, in us saturate your heart with his written words so that when he speaks or when you think he might be speaking, you'll recognize the genuine from maybe the enemy or maybe your own desires or maybe something crazy your friend is saying, right? Um, uh, for me, just, a, just an example, I, uh, I'm notorious. I tell everybody I love listening to audiobooks. When I'm like driving, when I'm on the lawnmower, when I'm doing a project, I put an audiobook in my ears. Um, and I'm often listen to like histories and biographies. I love that stuff. Nerd alert. Um, I, uh, I love, love listening to that stuff. But, um, and none of it's bad. You know, I'm, I'm, none of it's sinful or anything like that. But what I find is it would just create sort of an escapism where, uh, and, and, and I just took away time for the Lord to really speak to me. Um, it was just, it was just enjoyment. It was just escapism. And um, but when I shut those off, and maybe in its place, I turned on a sermon or just some worship music and spent time in prayer, I would all of a sudden, you know, you, I would experience the Lord then sparking things in my heart, dropping vision and idea and dreams into my heart. Um, he would stir things up, and I'd have moments in his presence, all those things. Um, and that's an example of just me turning off the noise and creating space to be in his presence. That spiritual discipline, spending time in prayer, spending time in his word, listening to um, uh, other pastors. Um, it's, you know, it's interesting when we apply ourselves to those disciplines, fasting, prayer, diving into his word, worship, that we see it's kind of like our appetite for exercise and healthy eating. When we haven't been doing it for a while, it's kind of the last thing we want to do. But when you start doing it, your, your appetite and your motivation for exercising any healthy increases. When you dive into the word and when you start applying discipline there and we carve out that time and when you spend time in his presence, all of a sudden you're thirsting your hunger for his presence 
for his word starts to increase and increase, and it gets easier and easier to do those things. And then the voice of the Holy Spirit becomes sharper and more present in your life day in and day out. So I encourage you, I challenge you, look for ways to carve things out of your schedule and, and spend time in his word, spend time in his presence. All right. Our faith is not a list. It's not confined to a building on Sunday morning. Jesus came just like, just like that paradigm shift after his resurrection. Jesus came to flip that tendency of our flesh on its head and to defeat the lie of the enemy that would keep us contained, thinking that this is where our faith lives in a church on Sunday morning, keeping us caged up. Our faith is living and active. It's submitting to a perfect, loving king and father, and it's stepping out in obedience as living stones. Right? You could have the worship team come up. We're going to end here with a uh, uh, time of worship and time to respond. Um, while we were at the, um, at the conference this week, we had the privilege of getting to hear from Ed Setzer, a, uh, a known theologian, writer, speaker of our time. And um, something he said to me just, or said, just drilled me um, and, and really speaks to this. He said, all we need to do is we put our yes on the table and let the Father put that yes on the map. We're saying, Lord, whatever you have, I say yes to it. And then wait and listen and let the Lord place that on the map. I want you to serve here. I want you to serve in this way. This is what I created you for. This is what I'm shaping in you. This is what I'm carving out of you. These are the gifts from you I want to use right now in this season. We say, put our yes on the table and let the, the Lord put that yes on the map. And I just pray that uh, each one of us can do that no matter what season of life you're in, no matter how long you've been serving the Lord, that's something we need to do daily. Um, why don't we stand here as we uh, just, as we close up. If this, uh, what I've been describing, if this is brand new to you, maybe this is something that you've never heard, maybe you had no idea that this is what it means to be a Christian, that you thought being a Christian meant, you know, don't swear, don't drink, come to church on Sunday mornings, you know, make sure your shirt's tucked in. Um, uh, maybe this is something new. Maybe you grew up in a church that it seemed to what, be what they described as that, a list of do's and a list of don'ts and a calendar of events and a way to kind of look good to the other church folks around you. Maybe that's, maybe that's kind of how you grew up in that understanding. I want you, in, I'm gonna invite you to that paradigm shift, flipping your own world on its head by submitting your life to this perfect king, submitting your life to the perfect father that has nothing but good for you, wants you to know him, wants you to experience his love powerfully, wants you to have that assurance that says, I can be sure of my forgiveness, of my salvation, that the Lord has paid for my sins and taken them away, that he's placed his goodness and righteousness on top of my over covering, washing away my failures, my sins, my brokenness, my unworthiness. I want to give you the, the opportunity to do that. If the Lord's been speaking to you today, um, I want to give you a moment just to, uh, to make that decision. To say, King Jesus, my life is yours. I put my yes on the table and I'll let you do with me whatever you want. In a moment, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. It's not, we're not going to put you on the spot. It's not about anything about signing up for Spirit of Life Church. It's not, you're not pledging anything to me or Pastor Jonathan. This is about submitting your life to your creator who knows you better than you know yourself, who knows what you were created for, and who loves you perfectly. Again, we're not going to put you on the spot. We just want an opportunity to have somebody pray with you and give you the, those next steps. So if you would, if that's you, I just ask you to take that bold step, shift your life on its head, and raise your hand. Jesus. Anybody else? Just another moment.
the Lord's been speaking to you today. Jesus, thank you. I see those. We're going to go into a time of worship, and then right after that, I'm going to call for a prayer team. And if you raised your hand, I challenge you just to come and pray with one of our, our, our team members. They're just to love you and pray with you, not put you on the spot. Let's worship together. Jesus, I just praise you and thank you, Lord, that you came to this earth, Lord, to bring the good news of your salvation, that you came to, um, to place your righteousness on us, that you came to restore our relationship with the Father that you designed in the Garden of Eden, Lord, to remove that separation that's come through our sin. Lord, I thank you that we can come to you in submission Lord, to a perfect king, not to a dictator, not to a selfish ruler, but Lord, to somebody that knows us perfectly. 
and has a plan for our life and has designed us for a purpose. And Lord, I thank you that you've given us your promised Holy Spirit, Lord, to guide us in the day-to-day, in the small decisions, in the huge life-changing decisions, and in ministering to those around us. Holy Spirit, I pray that this week your, your voice would be loud and clear in our hearts, Lord, equipping us and uh, um, to minister to those around us. Or reveal to us where we can uh, carve out time to just spend with you, drawing closer to you so that uh, we recognize your voice and allow your power to flow through us. Lord, I thank you for those that have uh, chosen to submit their lives to you this morning. I praise you for that, Lord. I thank you for the celebration that's going on in heaven this morning. Because souls have been added to your kingdom. And Lord, you've drawn them close to you. I praise you and thank you this morning. You can have the prayer team come up. Again, if you raise your hand to just accept Jesus as your Lord, to bow the knee of your life and heart to him this morning, I encourage you to just come up. Just come pray with one of our team here. They're going to be loving and just just pray with you and give you your next steps. If you need prayer for anything else at all, healing, direction, um, anything at all, I encourage you to come on up. You're welcome to, uh, to head out. I bless you for this week, the rest of your Sunday. You're welcome to stay and, and worship. Uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you.